Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Really dumb. Welcome to the Really 007 podcast, your go-to place for the silly and serious sides to James Bond. And tonight, I think we'll probably lean more to the latter, but but you never know. never know on these dis- discussions. <laughs> you can find us and listen in on iTunes and Spotify, and we're on all social media platforms, uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Tonight, we are beginning another semi-regular series, which could go on indefinitely, this time on the books of Bond. So that's not just uh, the Ian Fleming books and the novelizations, but books about Bond. And starting us off, we've got one of those. We're looking at He Disagreed with Something That Ate Him. And that title should immediately recount memories of License to Kill to Bond fans. And Live and Let Die for the Bond book fans. But this book is by none other than Carrie Edwards. Uh, it's a work analysing the two Timothy Dalton Bond films, The Living Daylights and License to Kill. I, Thomas Pickup. I'm joined by regular contributors John Kell, Math Pickup, and Rob Parker. Good evening, gents. Good evening. Good evening. But we also welcome the most important guy tonight, the author of this fabulous work himself, Carrie Edwards. Evening. Thank you very much. Good evening, is it doctor? sir. Good evening. It, it, Strictly speaking, it is doctor. It, but, it should oh. have been doctor. Sorry, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't care. It's fine. <laughs> I only sort of wear that when I'm feeling, you know, negative or something. I need a boost. It's like, uh, <laughs> it's got, you know, I go turn around to my wife and say, "You just got to call me Doctor Edwards today." Huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure it'll be positive tonight. Yes. Oh my yeah. Word. So yes, you do have a PhD, don't you, in film, Carrie? Is yes, that right? I did. Yeah, from Lincoln University. Although it was nothing to do with the Bond films it's actually uh, i was looking at uh, vigilante cinema of the 1970s so Oof. dirty harry death wish taxi driver i'm currently second drafting that ideas research from that into a, a book for an academic publisher i probably shouldn't say whom because i don't want to jinx it you know i'm always terrified yeah, yeah yeah um but that's a much bigger word that's like a 90,000 academic sort of book that goes into libraries and wow. uh, <laughs> people look to look highlight two lines of and never read but that's cool <laughs> i am indeed a doctor yeah 
So yeah, you probably know your stuff a bit more than us uh, on the technical side. No offense to any of the others here. Um, <laughs> but I feel like we've all got a PhD in all things Timothy Dalton, so I think we're I think we're quite happy to, to talk tonight together. It's going to be a real loving, I think, of his Bond films. It's going to be a very positive episode. I know there's some are some are not less positive. Anyway, right, Carrie. Yes. Yeah, so you mentioned, of course, you've got this uh, dots written film. In terms of your day to day job, are, are you an academic? No, well, uh, I'm sort of half and half. I actually teach in further education, so I'm a classed as a lecturer, although sometimes I think that job title is compensation for getting paid less than teachers in schools. <laughs> that's a whole political side issue. Yeah, yeah. So I teach film studies, I teach media studies, but I also um, teach some HE level stuff inside the college. But I also do bits of writing and that side of things as well, which is sort of, at the, I guess, that academic level, if we want to call it that. So for instance, the, I've got a, a chapter in a book on the, the new Hollywood coming out, which is out in October, which is uh, with Bloomsbury Academic and, and that sort of stuff. But my day-to-day job, which is the best bit, is I get to talk about movies with people and analyze yes. movies. Uh, today, for instance, my my last day with my second year students today, they've got their, their final exams, not the real exams because of COVID. So we were revising um, in Inception today because that's one of the, the movies on the exam. Maybe, maybe we should talk about Christopher Nolan later, but um, yeah, so going oh. through bits of Inception. Mm. Oh, my word, not, bad, oh, not a bad day job, word. is it, really? No, really. you do a degree yeah. in that film alone, couldn't you? I think, yeah, I think yeah, it's, it's time to go back to higher education. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My HNC in planning seems completely pointless. <laughs> <laughs> it's got you here today, John. No, there was no, there was no formal interview process for this podcast. <laughs> yes, yeah, so Carrie, yep. your relationship with the Bond films. So I presume, like most of us, you grew up with them on ITV. Watch yeah, I, home, I think I think of them as VHS tapes, and I think of yeah. basically where I used to, where I grew up on the street. I grew up at the end. There was a shell garage, which was also because everywhere in the early eighties just had VHS tapes for rental. I mean, vans drove round with them in the back, and God knows what <laughs> was bizarre. When you think about it. And so I think it was really easy childcare to send me and my my older brother with a couple of quid down, get some sweets, get a video, and. There was several movies in constant rotation. Obviously, the Bond movies, I particularly think Octopussy, for some reason. Yes. Was, was oh, a lot. Yeah. The Moors were around then more. So I sort of, when I was younger, the Moors. But I mean, the Indiana Jones movies were in rotation, the Star Wars oh, movies, yeah. the Star oh, Trek yeah. movies, and loads loads of stuff. So I just grew grew up watching movies. And then, of course, they were on that TV and taping them off on TV. And it's something I was just, it was occurring to me, because I was watching Licence to Kill and Living Daylights, and... In my head, I still have the edited ITV versions where whole chunks of the movie are sort of missing. Yeah, and yeah. it's always there's bits of still surprise me because I think there's the scenes in Afghanistan that I never had on my videotape taped off TV. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I forgot that happens. And pan and scan as well because you know with the square TV screen. It's, yeah. it's really bizarre. I somehow still get surprised that there's actually this stuff. There's that shot in License to Kill where they're all three of them in the car right at the beginning in, in Lighter's wedding car. You can see all three of them. And on the old ITV version, it starts with Sharky or it starts with Bond and then pans across. Yes, it does, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. And it's like, yeah. So it still kind of freaks me out, but that's good. That's a good thing. So, yeah, I just they watched them. They were squashed into that, the back of that limousine they were. quite tight, the weren't they? They were. And, you know, I just watched them to death. Um, <laughs> As you did, and you wore the tapes out, and it was fantastic. And then the Dalton movies, I came to a bit late. I didn't really sort of notice it in sort of 87 when Living Daylights came out. I didn't go to the cinema to see that. And, of course, when Licensed Skill came out, which was a 15, sadly, I was 10. 
So I, I got to those a bit later, a few years later, and I kind of got to them in the gap between yeah. 89 and, and, and 95 and just absolutely loved them. Just thought they were amazing and, and so fresh because put next door to the Roger Moore movies, particularly those later Roger Moore movies, they're a real shot in the arm. And Licensed Skill is like from a different planet almost sometimes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm. In terms of growing up, you, you said, was Roger Moore probably your favourite actor as a child it's, to play Bond? I think, well, yeah, definitely when I was younger because he was the one I saw the most. Um, uh, you know, again, I got into Sean Connery a bit later, but I think the the more ones, the ones that were in the, the video shop. So they're the ones we watched. I was thinking about this because they were big events on TV. It's ITV4, bless it, seems to have a Bond movie on. There's probably on one on now. I have yeah. no idea. Yeah. But I would, there is. A- <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me. I think Octopussy was on last night. The Bond movies used to be massive events on TV when Live and Let yeah. Die premiered on ITV. And I, I can't remember, it's, it's 81 maybe around then. It had the biggest audience for a movie on British TV ever. Wow. No yeah. Way. Uh, yeah, it was, Years it, later was, as well. it was it was millions and millions of people like, you know, it's well over 10 million people. I'd have to look up the figures. So they were much more of an event than than perhaps they are now on TV anyway. I find that really, really interesting that Bond used to be a much bigger event. Do you know what hit me tonight while I was I was looking for I timed how long it takes the kids to eat tea. And um, <laughs> I know that because I'm, I'm really trying to indoctrinate them in Bond. I work out how long my favourite sequences are in the films. It's about eight minutes is like if we keep them at table for eight minutes we've done quite well and you know from the moment that um the sub in license to kill goes in the water dalton is holding the money going you know and he throws it in the back because he knows he's got loads of it is <laughs> about eight minutes 50 oh, and so oh, i know heck. we've got that in the tank but i typed in on um youtube james 20 results came up and not one of them was bond and oh, it feels gosh. like this is like uh and you had all sorts of other, you know that like generation yeah, yeah, it feels like, and this is a whole nother question, but the, the, the sense that Bond was a massive, all-encompassing mm. event mm. isn't there anymore. It's really interesting because my daughter's 17. I was going to say 16, but she was 17 last weekend. Um, I've got just got one uh, child, which is enough, frankly. And she's lovely. That sounds awful, but she's wonderful. But you know, She could see Licence to Kill at the cinema. But, though, which, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but she has absolutely no interest in Bond films. Oh. Dreadful. It's just, I don't know what I did. And she's interested in movies and, and she's actually doing a, a course at the college, not one I teach. And she's interested in special effects and she goes away and, and creates things on a computer, which I have no understanding of. And it's just like, I oh, can't get to watch watch a Bond film though. So I don't know what I've done wrong. <laughs> not done anything wrong, mate. It's, it's, it's where Eon and MGM have gone wrong. <laughs> oh, here we go. Right. <laughs> I'm just going to bring a slight bit of balance, but uh, my, my wife driving to work today, she, she works in a school and, and um, she, her main job is looking after a child in the, a different child in the class, whoever needs the help and the support. And she said to me, I got stuck with this really annoying boy the other day who brought <laughs> every single conversation back to James Bond. It was like oh. being, it was like being at home. And <laughs> get out of the house to get away from Bond. Exactly. But she was saying like he tries to talk about bring every conversation about Bond to everybody and nobody's interested whatsoever. Oh, no, no. So he, he is like a complete loner in that field so there's one of them out there and whoever you are we're cheering you on some a blessing i do wonder whether the over the they've been overexposed and that's actually devalued them i i was thinking this about this the other day because disney um and we don't want to talk much about disney but they protect the rights of their movies very 
They do not yeah. let them out on TV very often. No. Their DVD prices have never fallen. They have kept it, and, yeah. and they've kept a certain level of value to their product, which is really interesting, Where, whereas yeah, the, the Bond films have, have been so so exposed, so so repeatedly shown, yeah, you kind of almost can ignore them. You've never been able to get them on a streaming service for free, I don't think, though. No. No, no I wonder what That's bizarre. That is really it bizarre. It is interesting, isn't it? Yeah. But maybe Amazon soon, from what I'm reading in the yeah. Yes, yeah. Maybe. There's always that. Maybe. There's always that. I think it's quite good to always know that they're going to be on ITV every year at least or something oh, like yeah. that if if you were told that say a streaming service had exclusive exclusive rights <laughs> nearly went to elliot carver and so, um yeah uh, if you were told that you couldn't sort of just record one off off normal telly it might be a bit weird that might not it it would be yeah there's a balance somewhere in there i don't know what it is we shouldn't have to pay for our bonds yeah. What, anyway. Like test match yeah. cricket. I love like you're saying yeah. that like you don't have them all on at least DVD. Yeah, oh, yeah. Possibly oh, no. several copies. That. Like yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I, I haven't actually got around to the Blu-ray. I know Rob has. Oh, um, what? I think John has as well. No, yeah, no, I, no, I'm still gone. I have. So when I watch them, I'm still recording them off TV because it's the Blu-ray quality, isn't it? Because it's better quality than the DVD. Uh, but then, the of course. License to kill, you might not see all the all the horrific scenes. No. They might be cut. Yeah. So. Absolutely. All the, the, the alleged good stuff. The only problem, yeah. which is why I'd love them to come on a streaming service, is that the, the little lad who's three now, when he wants to watch a James Bond, he just gets all the discs out and throws them around mm. like coasters. Oh, hey. And it's like, ah, ah, stop, stop, no, no. Yeah. Uh, and then there's lots of me muttering on the floor going, he's got no sense of respect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is it is it like when... Um, you know, on uh, Alan Partridge, when when Lynn spills Sunny Delight all over uh, yes, Partridge's yes. Bond tape, so. I, I walked into the living room yesterday and found five discs, Doctor No, Live and Let Die, Diamonds Are Forever, oh. and World Is Not Enough, on the floor, just on the carpet, and my initial reaction was, no! No, no! Warrington's maddest man. Good mix, those, those few. Yeah, no, not yeah. bad. Not bad. <laughs> Kerry, well, we know, obviously, done a book on Timothy Dalton, but would you say he's probably now your your favourite Bond? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I I did flick through the book before before ch- checking to you guys because I've not read it back for, for for ages, and I did, and I think I'm a bit too negative on the Roger Moore's. So an early comment, actually, I think Roger Moore's brilliant, but they're different. Um, and yeah. I actually, I I think all the Bonds have have really positive qualities. Um, sometimes the the films don't actually match up to the quality of the the actor, perhaps. But I, I think Dalton is brilliant. I think he's, he made two good ones. So he's never had that moment where he made a bad one or a disappointing yeah. one, which is, you know, I kind of, would it be nice to get a third one? Yeah, probably. But what if it was rubbish? So we saved that. So he's never made a bad one. It's just his intensity. It's really interesting because I was watching it thinking, I completely believe in him that he would kill people. I believe in all his decisions, but I also believe that he can be softer and, and, and a kinder guy. And something I, I wish I'd done more of in the book is really talk about the romance in Living Daylights. That's a really romantic film. Mm. Yeah. And it's a very yeah, yeah. soft romantic film. I, I do touch on it a bit, but I think I could have pushed that further because you really see him try and romance a woman. It's it's not, you know, just about sex. It, it's, it feels more like falling in love. And that's a really, yeah. really beautiful part of the movie. It's made, it's, there is so much to explore, just two films. The amount of yeah. themes that come up, and we obviously will go into those in detail. Nauseating detail. The same joke. Every week. Um, if you had to name one favourite, could you, Carrie? I usually think it's Licence to Kill. But again, I, I, did, I watched them back to back, 
and I was thinking, but it's 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 a whisper. Oh, it's, it's one of these. Though. It, yeah. It's yeah. It's, it, it's <laughs> yeah. just. But yeah, I do I do just about prefer License to Kill. But they're they're quite different. So the qualities are different. Dalton's brilliant in, in both of them, and and it feels like the same bond across both movies, and and you see him yeah. develop and grow in different yeah. ways, which yeah. I think is really interesting. What I like about License to Kill is they take Bond right out of his comfort zone and throw him into a situation where he's almost not quite deranged, that's possibly too much, but the the, the, the vengeance, the personal vendetta theme, he goes off track and, and it really does something interesting with the character, which after Absolutely. 27 years since Doctor No was a really exciting thing to do. Whereas Living Daylight, as much as I love it, and I do love it, is a generic-ish Bond film with Dalton in it, and it wasn't written for yeah. him. Yeah, It was written with nobody particularly in mind, but he fits in it, and it, it, you know, obviously it's tailored and twisted to him. But license skill is the f- proper thing. That's a proper hundred percent Dalton James Bond film. Yeah. So excited! I'm excited to watch it again. As soon as this is over. Dear me! Just to, uh, just to watch him going, ba, 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 you know, the slow motion run with the guns. You know, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So Sorry, we're going to have to stop this, lads. We're just going to watch license. Yeah, until. just take a break. <laughs> yeah, watch along. The episode could just this episode could just devolve to a watch along. Could do. I think you watched it after we spoke to Anthony Starr, Rob, didn't you? As soon as it was finished. I, yeah, I watched it. I watched it the night before speaking to him. Then the night we did. <laughs> I, 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 that was a bloody great interview. I'm glad you said Anthony Starr because I just want to call him Truman Lodge because I cannot remember. <laughs> of course, of course. Truman Lodge. One of the things I was going to is in my mind to talk to you guys about was 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 the physical presence of Dalton because it's really interesting because he Anthony Stock talked about Dalton's fitness regime which <laughs> pretty much was <laughs> cigarettes Whoa. and women and not many, yeah. many women anymore. Oh, right, so yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, martial arts. Yeah. And I was just thinking about how the, the, the body's evolved and, and you know Daniel Craig is huge mm. and, and muscular and I, I, I kind of don't think that works for Bond. I think Bond should be a fit, healthy guy. And Dalton's what, yeah. he's six two. he looks good. When he's hanging off things, when he's on the top of the, the Land Rover, I believe he's on the top of the Land yeah. Rover. I mean, he Absolutely. was on the top of a Land Rover, yeah. but yeah. I believe yeah. it as well. If you read the Fleming's novels, Bond basically smokes, drinks, and eats creamy food, and yeah. occasionally goes for a swim. And I just don't see him as a guy who'd be in the gym sort of eating, I don't know, blended chicken breasts at three in the morning not or whatever, Daniel yeah. Craig eats. Not at all. Like, there's like an extensive period in the, the Thunderball novel where... Bond is lamenting the diet that M's got him on, you know, because yeah. he just and the, he's like talking to the dinner lady, isn't it? <laughs> How upset he is with the food he's been made to mm. eat. I box carry, not to any level or anything like that. But the thing in the gym that we always talk about is muscles don't mean anything. You know, it's that it's up here that counts, that kind of thing. So whenever anyone comes in and shows off the big defined muscles and all that kind of thing, we fight over each other who can go get in the ring with him because you find them <laughs> out really, really quickly. And that's the that's the same kind of thing. I think that Dalton had it up there. Like he's won yeah. the fight up here, you know, yeah. before oh, you yeah, yeah. step in with him. If you if you think about the the actors who played Bond before Craig, I mean I'm not saying everyone was saying it, but there's sort of the clickbaity, oh finally we've got a Bond who you actually think could kill someone. But I mean that's utter rubbish, isn't it? Have you, I mean, have you seen Connery? He was Mr. Universe, oh, he's yeah. like six foot yeah. three, massive guy. Then Lazenby, pretty big guy, pretty handy in a fight. Even Roger Moore, I know people laugh, but so again, six foot two, six foot three, pretty handy. Roger, Roger Moore, yeah. we we like, but he was in good shape. I mean, the yeah. maybe yeah, not the was, later yeah. movies, but you know, you know he's never really loved me. He's, he's in good shape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I hope I look like that at fifty-eight. Yeah, yeah. Like your hand <laughs> yeah. off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was I was watching For Your Eyes Only last night, 
And especially in the scene where the um, oh, they get thrown into the water and the the yacht and and obviously the tied up. I mean, he's in fantastic shape. Yeah, 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 he yeah, is yeah. Really yeah. toned. I mean, he does not look out of place next to Melina Havelock by any shape. Yeah, no, that's fair. Absolutely yeah. fair. And he's like fifty four or something like that. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. In terms of Dalton getting the role, he had a quite a few missed opportunities, a bit like Pierce Brosnan. It sort of dovetailed a bit. Mm. I do. I think the Broccoli's, uh, particularly Dana, always mm. wanted him as Bond, even when he was in his twenties. And he came in to audition, didn't he? I think, and he said, "No, no, I'm too, I'm too young." So, which again, I think with Pierce, we, we got them both at the right time. So I think it worked out quite well. Roger Moore had said a few times, hadn't he? Like, "Oh, uh, uh, this is going to be my last one." And I think he said it basically for the last three, didn't he? Absolutely. But then he was sort of coached back to it. And we had um, screen tester people. It's, um, what's his name? Brolin. James James Brolin. Brolin. Yeah, yeah. His screen tests are really interesting. He was very close. But, you know, Roger Moore was, I mean, he was doing it as long as they were going to give him a bit more money. Yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so, and, and I'm glad he did because, you know, they are all worth watching. And, and uh, I think when I was younger, I didn't value them so much. But there is something really accessible about the Roger Moore movies that anybody can watch them. And, and yeah, they're fun and silly. But that that was cool. That's cool. You know, Bond movies. What's wrong yeah. with the Bond movie working for a seven-year-old as much as anybody else? You know? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, they used to be billed, you... As, you, as you pointed out in the book, they used to be billed as family adventure, action adventure movies, didn't they? Mm, you know, yeah. um, and that was like certainly ages five, six, seven was when I really fell in love with it. With more. Truthfully, yeah. with more. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Are you, Kerry, do you think, are you under the impressions maybe that, I don't know, A View to a Kill would have worked just as well with Timothy Dalton? Do you I think? think it would have taken some rewriting, but I think Dalton across uh, against Walken and Grace Jones would have been interesting. <laughs> yeah. um, Ooh, I don't yeah. think he would have worked with Stacey. Um, Stacey's a very no, different... No woman yeah. to the, the women in, in Dalton's movies. Mm. Um, there would have perhaps been slightly less back projection in some of the action scenes, though. <laughs> <laughs> Which, oh, my God! Oh, no, that's not even more, is it? Yeah. No, but it is the scene that comes to mind, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. The, the fire, the, the firefighting chase as well, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, but again, I'm pleased we got a, a last yeah. more one. It's a swan song for him. And he, I, I think he knows he's too old in that movie. Yeah. It's really interesting. Oh, yeah. He's enjoying it. And I always love, nobody remarks on it, but the really mucky Sid James laugh at the end of the movie when he's in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> cracks me up every time in that movie. I can't remember it, because at that point, I'm, I'm ushering my children out of the room as quick as possible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what, and then turn the volume up the song. What does he do? Yeah, oh, yeah. What she says, uh, so he's in the shower with Stacey, and yeah. they're doing, I'm going to put a little bit of soap here and there and all this stupid <laughs> thing. And, and Q's, Massive robot dog. <laughs> which is Johnny robot. Five in like the worst spy <laughs> device ever created. Wheels in, and yeah, she does the O James bit, and you just see him going, <laughs> it's sort of mucky. <laughs> yeah. Really? I, 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 yeah, you do really. And it's like, oh, brilliant. Bless Literally you. his last laugh. Yeah. yeah. And then he finished with the, ooh. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I love Roger Moore's noises. And um, oh, yeah. I don't, on Twitter, I can't yeah. remember who does it, but has done a super, keeps doing all the, the times he says, well. 
Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. 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 <laughs> Robbie Sims, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. It's Absolutely so fantastic. Yeah. He, he has a well Wednesday, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> cheers, wow. cheers me up every week. Oh, yeah, it really yeah, does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One of the other guys we interviewed, Andreas Wisniewski, Necros, of course. He said that he was under the impression that Ian McShane was going to be bombed when he when he signed on because they didn't really know so it shows how late in the day uh, well, Pierce obviously was dropped I mean, out I mean then. I mean Pierce was there he was he, he was basically the day before he had a yeah. I think it was a 60 day contract extension for Remington Steel and on day 59 he got a phone call saying we're renewing the contract phone Broccoli yeah. and Broccoli says then you're not doing James Bond yeah. which you I mean must have been heartbreaking oh dear yeah, I mean, this and then guy, it was cancelled anyway, wasn't it? Or yeah, it he did a couple of TV or... movies and they cancelled it, so it was a complete yeah. waste of his time. Um, I actually think Brosnan benefits of being a bit older. I think he looks better yeah, yeah, yeah. by the time of Goldeneye. Dalton, like you said, had been around, so he'd been around in the 60s. I think around the Majesty's Secret Service, mm. he was yeah, in, right, in the mix. Yeah. And then, you know, with so Roger Moore negotiations, <laughs> he was a name who was in circulation. But he wasn't that much in contention for Living Daylights because he was busy. He was doing this TV movie, Brenda Starr, which I've never seen, but apparently it's no. terrible. No one's seen it, now. Yeah, probably because <laughs> it's absolutely terrible. Yeah. <laughs> but because things were so delayed getting Living Daylights, suddenly he was free perfectly at the time. But they started filming in Gibraltar with stunt dubs. So they had to get Dalton's yeah, haircut yeah. and stuff because his hair was wrong. And he was actually announced to the press when they were filming in Vienna during production. So... It was sort of completely the wrong way up. It's a really interesting um, press conference that he comes across as, well, exactly as you'd imagine, Timothy Dalton, quite intense, <laughs> very serious and very private. Yeah. Oh, I just love the man so much. <laughs> the but that's so pretty overwhelming for someone who is an actor as opposed to a movie star, isn't he? Yeah. You know, he's a proper thespian and just to be flung into that, you know, because normally they'd have like months and months of preparation and now they'd be like coaching you how to deal with the media, wouldn't they? They would, they'd have like your own media people and how to answer interviews and preparation for the role because he obviously loves to prepare for the role so he didn't have much time to do that either no I mean fortunately he liked the movies and particularly the early ones and I think he usually talks about Dr No and From Much Love it's interesting because Brosnan always talks about Goldfinger he has that one speech where he talks about going to the cinema in in Goldfinger in 64 but yeah Dalton talks about Dr No and From Much Love and then he talks just his research is he just went and read the books yeah that was his research yeah and I think that shows all the way through his portrayal. Thankfully, got the role. I, I didn't know this, actually, until I was researching for this episode, but I think it might have been about at the time or just after this had come out, but Sean Connery actually endorsed him, endorsed mm. Dalton as Bond in an interview. Because he, he give, very rarely gives interviews, Sean Connery, certainly about Bond. He just, he's, you know, like, can we just stop talking about James Bond? It's in my past. But he did, yeah. So that, that's, pretty, that's pretty impressive as well. No, it's good. It's it's interesting because it's really good talking to you guys and, and talking, just seeing more widely how Dalton has been more embraced as time has gone on. It's a really interesting thing, this, yeah. is that it, actually, if you go back and look at the reviews for Living Daylights, people did like him. Bit of an air because License to Kill didn't do as well as it probably should have done. I'm sure we'll talk about that. And then you have the production gap, that there's something wrong with Dalton's Bond, but that there, there isn't, there wasn't. There was something wrong with MGM's financial situation, which has been true since about 1980, uh, if yeah. not earlier than that. And there's still problems with MGM's financial situation. And the fact that he didn't do another one, he, he turned Goldeneye down. Now, if you, it depends who you read. He either turned Goldeneye down or the studio pressured him, pressured the Broccolis about that. But the Broccolis wanted him back. You know, they've always been very yeah. clear that they wanted him back in Goldeneye. Wow. And they wanted him back for like, was it, again, a multi-picture deal you hear? So Which that's why maybe he didn't do turn it. it down. Yeah. Because you just wanted to do one or two. Can yeah, imagine? absolutely. He didn't want to sign up <laughs> to that. Because, and you said this, he's not a film star. Dalton. I mean, that's not to say he isn't a star in his films, but he 
he's an actor who does movies and TV and stage work. He likes his privacy as an intensely private human yeah. being. And suddenly being recognised in every street corner in the world, I mean, that must be mind-boggling. It opens up a lot of doors for you, but it closes a lot of doors as well. And I always think, in, a, in an odd way, he they cast kind of the wrong guy with Doc because he is a great actor. He isn't a film star. He's usually the guy they would cast as a villain. You yeah, know, yes. in a yeah, And if you yeah. think uh, The Rocketeer, he's a brilliant, yeah. Yeah. brilliant villain in The Rocketeer. Yeah. Yeah, he's got such good range, hasn't he? And mm. he probably enjoys that variety. And so doing two bonds has suited him in a way. I mean, we could go on about the the ninety one and ninety three never made Dalton's off, <laughs> but it, <laughs> oh my word, it was so interesting, wasn't it? Where uh, you know an amalgamism of the two, maybe. Yeah, some, something in the in between the two. It is. Yeah, yeah, but it didn't. So I, I was completely unaware that the Broccoli's wanted him to continue in Goldeneye. <laughs> just don't know that at all yeah, that's what they yeah. that's what they said that's the official line but there was definitely um pressure from sort of the heads at united artists mgm john kelly and people like that is that they wanted somebody they knew they wanted to relaunch it you know pierce brosnan was the obvious choice a lot of names are thrown about a huge amount yeah. of names from ray fines mel gibson hugh grant liam neeson they were all thrown oh, about as, as with a lot of things i can i can see both sides of this because um because you know for, for both of them there have been such a big gap License to Kill, you know, as you talk about in the book, Kerry, like it hadn't done as well, you know, sort of respectively as 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 probably they'd hoped. You've got this this long gap. It does sort of seem perfect for a sort of big relaunch, you know, freshen everything up. Obviously, I absolutely love Dalton, and I wish, but I, you know, I wish he'd done more. But I think it would it would have been the ninety one and ninety three, or just one yeah, film yeah. there, yeah. rather than after that big gap. It makes sense to uh, to to go with someone new and and also you know slight change of direction Pierce Brosnan is more of a movie star than, than mm. Timothy Dalton but then yeah from Timothy Dalton's point of view you can see that yeah you know he isn't he is an actor an actor's actor he, he's not the same in every film or a version of himself in every film he's you know he's, he's a quality actor and for him to have then had that big gap and then signed himself up for two or three more yeah, yeah. Or however long it's sort of, you know, a big, big a decision big, for it. It's a big you know? commitment. It means you're not doing your, your stage shows. You're not yeah. doing the interesting work. You're just going to be James Bond and you fit work yeah. in. And uh, let's, just, let's be fair, Goldeneye works brilliantly. And Brosnan oh, is... Yeah, brilliant. oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Completely, yeah. Completely. That's what I mean. I don't know if you guys agree, but that's his, I think it's his best Bond film. I think it's his best Bond performance. I think he knocks it out of the park. I do sometimes wonder whether Goldeneye's so good, though, because when the initial scriptwriter for it, Michael France, was on board, he was imagining Timothy Dalton. And a lot of the ah. physicality of Goldeneye and the emotional intensity yes. of Goldeneye, you know, yeah. the conversation about Martinis drowning out Victim yeah. and yeah. I think yeah. you talk about that in the book yeah. actually, Karen. Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, and yeah, I, really yeah, interesting. I, I do wonder how much that's you know Michael France thinking uh, uh, about Dalton. We uh, sadly have not have all the all the drafts of the script because it went through God knows how many drafts. But it's an interesting thought. I mean, six year gap now would be like standard, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, Daniel Craig on a holiday, a, wouldn't it? A Bond film every two years in the eighties. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, no. oh thank you, John Glenn. Do you, know, do you know what we were talking yeah. about before about how that Bond isn't in the in it's not in the top 20 things when you type in James on YouTube. Yeah. It's because of the gaps, the, the insistent yeah. gaps between films. It was taken <laughs> over by someone like Disney. I'm pretty sure they would 
rectify that. Well, I think I if do. Amazon do do buy MGM, you know, yeah. or whatever the company's called now, I can imagine that they the money potential's huge. So yeah, this I, is I, all Leon have got to do, isn't it? They they like produce a couple of other films well, like the rhythm section and it's, it's random diff- films like this. It's a difficult one because <laughs> there's been so many behind the scenes problems and and the, yeah. the financing situation. I mean, die, uh, sorry, No Time to Die is apparently costing a million dollars a week in interest payments because oh, of the financing yeah, yeah seriously you did, so yeah. delaying that this is not something they clearly wanted to do at some point and some bit, bit of my brain says how difficult is it to make a bond film and then a bit of my brain says actually it's probably really difficult because but in the 80s they had the same people involved with every stage yes, of it, they didn't did. they? The, the whole casting crew and behind the crew were already waiting weren't they they were just getting on and they yeah. were they worked straight on the next one so richard Maybaum and yeah, full-time job michael <laughs> wilson were straight on the next script get that one in the can what's our idea for the next movie and i think as well excluding license to kill the relatively formulaic as well aren't they? yeah yeah follow yeah. a pattern and, and actually i'm all for that i'm not someone mm. who i'm i'm quite happy for that to continue now mm. i think half the problem for me now is that they haven't done that and they've tried to be a bit too clever mm. and um that's kind of gone down a rabbit hole but yeah i mean i was watching a youtuber the other day and he said with regards to this amazon bio he says all he wants is a bond every two or three years and a video game in between. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's all he wants, yeah. you know. And I think, actually, I totally agree with you. Yeah. I don't want a big universe. I don't want big spin-offs of Money Penny series. And Unless it's Lois Matt. A Bond film every couple of years with a video yeah. game in between. Yeah. And I'm a happy boy. You know, and that keeps it yeah. in everyone's minds, like Rob says. You know, it would that yeah. it would come up in your searches. The kids would be far more likely to to, to remember but, them. But also having a family appeal. I mean, there's nothing. I, I wouldn't make my kids sit PG thirteen. The last few films. There's just no yeah. way. I know a lot of people make this comparison, and it's it's a problematic comparison in some ways. But you look at how the Mission Impossible movies are being knocked out every couple of years, and they're, and they're very high quality entertainment. I'd rather have a Bond movie because they don't have the the finesse and the sort of. Uh, the, the, the class and charm of a Bond movie but they are knocking out some really good entertainment some incredible action scenes and they are doing it you know they're filming the new one right now they've been up in Yorkshire haven't they I think filming yeah. a new one and uh, it's amazing that they are turning those around but I think Tom Cruise is probably a force of nature and is doing yeah, that himself yeah and I think so he, hard working he, you know I don't I don't want to. Uh, I don't want it to turn into Daniel Craig bashing or something. But like it, Tom Cruise is so at the forefront of everything that is Mission Impossible, and because he's so determined and, like you say, relentless, he's driving it forward. And when you've got a star at the centre of it doing that, I mean, that you know that that's that's yeah. going to help. Where obviously, you know, Daniel Craig's been quite reluctant to keep you know keep doing them, and especially you know. I'm sure it was, you know, a physical, you know, mm. it takes its toll on you. So, you know, and Daniel Craig does a lot of no. his own stunts. So, oh, yeah. you're playing James Bond. No, no, I, I know. <laughs> I know. The I'm, hell I'm, up, man. I'm, 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 yeah. I'm I playing know, devil, sorry, man, playing devil's like, advocate, but I'm just I know, saying I know. the sort of comparison is that you've got a star who isn't as keen to keep yeah. going and, and put films out. And therefore, well, you know, it, that that's part of the difference. But I, th- I think with yeah. Bonds at the moment, the tail is wagging the dog yeah. not just not just with Daniel Craig but also you know like I said this to the lads I think recently this week like when they get a, a director like Sam Mendes then he calls the shots and he wants to make it a Sam Mendes film you know previously when you had like John Glenn even Martin Campbell I would say yeah. it's not a Martin Campbell film or a John Glenn film it's a James Bond film and you know the engine keeps running and we keep, we I, keep I completely going. agree with that and and it's Martin Campbell's actually a really good example because you know he's made some other good movies that you know sorry yeah. The Mask of Zorro is, yeah. know, for instance is, is terrific but he didn't come from this sort of Oscar winning auteur background he's a yeah, solid yeah. action director and yeah. 
everything's about the movie. But I think this set in, 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 in the Brosnan years because, you know, you had Campbell, Roger Spottiswood comes from an editing background, kind of a, would not mention Stop or My Mom Will Shoot, but, <laughs> you know, he was a solid action director. Yeah, yeah. And then they brought in Michael Apted. And I always thought that was a weird decision because Michael Apted, you know, not the great director, Gorillas in the Mist, and, but a documentary maker. And then it's an odd decision. And I think that's partly because, you know, the stars, sometimes they want to do more interesting work. And it's just, yeah, but it's a Bond movie, entertain people. But they still had that core group of people, the second unit, sure. the editors yeah, and everyone who were there at the time. I, th- I think, to be fair to Daniel Craig, you know, it shouldn't be on him to sort of be driving this franchise. No, should no, it? absolutely. It's, it's the producers who need to be a bit more more oh. upwardly mobile and just sort of get on with it and like you say there's not that many films other films that they've got to be releasing like you keep saying it might have to get worse before it gets better we've no idea what's going to happen no time to yeah. die because it's got it's got too many pies to it's got too many what do you call it plates to spin hasn't it yeah. in terms think, of the think, plots and all that I think we've got to this point where this keeps coming up because we're all concerned about yeah, yeah. where the franchise goes from here I, yeah, I mean look I hope you know. No Time to Die knocks it out of the park and it's yeah of course here. you know I'd like I'd like here. some more fun as well I, I think mm. you know it's interesting License to Kill License to Kill is a serious movie but actually there's quite a lot of fun in yeah you know whereas yeah. some you know Skyfall and Spectre are just, I find just a bit dour, a bit, you know, depressing. Yeah, yeah. I might be just jumping, the knowing humour, isn't it? Yeah. I might be jumping the gun a bit here, um, but I think it just ties in with what you were saying. Because I always think about Licence to Kill, I think, well, it's so far removed. Why do I love it so much and why do I struggle with Spectre? Because they're both personal focus of Bond, uh, personal motive. But what I think it comes down to is, is that there's that bit in Licence to Kill where he's gone rogue and then Pam Bouvier tells him about the deal that she has with the Stinger missiles with Hella. And at that moment, he right realizes mm. that he has cocked it up with his own personal with his own personal views. There is actually a bigger mission yeah. that there is to do. And and the problem with the Craig era is that never is a bigger mission. Yeah. It's always about James Bond. It's always you, James. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and the brother thing. <laughs> or or Judy Dench. Also, License, oh, to, Kill, oh, yeah. License to Kill isn't stupid, because I find Spectre really stupid. I'm just going to put that out there. Cause yeah, I just, fine. fine. Uh, yeah. You're a doctor. <laughs> you can say what you want. Just, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm allowed. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, I haven't watched Spectre that much, and, and I'll be fair, even the Bond films I don't like... Over time, I tend to warm up to them, and I haven't. Yeah, yeah. I haven't watched it particularly often because I actually find it quite dull, which I think is the worst thing about it. Yeah, I find, I find it actually really slow paced. And Sam Mendes apparently they were editing practically in the day of the premiere. They they hadn't really finished editing that movie, which is which is an odd <laughs> thing. Yeah, uh, but I, the thing about it's interesting. Dalton's Bond is fallible, and he makes mistakes. And absolutely, he cocks up. You know, Pam's deals for the Stingers. He is blinded by vengeance. He does need to actually start working with Pam and Q to get things done. But it's a believable journey because he's been given a really proper motive. And something I mentioned in, in the book is, is that I've, I see Della's death standing in for Tracy's death. Tracy's death was never properly addressed because Lazenby didn't come back to Diamonds Are Forever. You have that moment at the beginning of Diamonds Forever where, where Connery is just globetrotting, abusing Japanese people and strangling <laughs> women chance. on the beach. Yeah. <laughs> and My then, yeah. And just that bit that's always cut out on TV with the br- with the, the bikini. Yeah, well, yeah, it was. Yeah. And and then you get that moment where he kind of kills Blofeld, but of course doesn't. And then oh, that's it. And we mention it, but it, it has power because when we mention it in Spy Love Me, it's a it's a powerful moment when Anya yeah. mentions it. And when it comes up at the start of Your Eyes Only with the gravestone, it it adds depth. 
Yeah. And so I think there's resonance there because it's not a closed thing. So he comes home and, and sees something very similar. Well, he comes back to Lighter's house and he sees something really similar to what happened to him. Yeah. And absolutely, he's 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 channeling his feelings for Tracy, I think, into that mission for revenge. And, and that's why it has a lot of emotional resonance. resonance. It's part of the problems I have with the, the reboot I do with Craig. And Casino Royale, by the way, I think is fantastic. I think it's a superb movie. But you lose all the things about Tracy. You lose all that stuff. And I think it's really sad that that those echoes and ideas get lost there. Um, but in a sense, License to Go does that offer a sort of sense of closure to that 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 narrative too. I, I think the, uh, the strength of, of Tracy's legacy hinges on the fact that in the films since after her death, the moments where she's brought up the performances by the Bond actors in question have been so good. Yeah. I think yeah. um, Tracy's gravesite in Fewer Eyes Only, more is outstanding. Like there's... A detached stoicism, like he's he's depositing a piece mm. of his path there, mm. which I absolutely love. They don't um, dwell on it though. It's just no, they a don't. Scene. They don't. And that's Good far more effective. Yeah, the fact that there's no dwelling. Like this is a part of this man's past. Yeah, and that makes him so much more compelling a character because he has that in his in his in his closet, so to speak, you know, or his wardrobe or whatever. The expression is. Anya's mention of it in Spy Love yeah. Me. He his shutdown of it so quick is brilliant. So quick yeah. and acerbic. It's brilliant. And in this. Uh, in License to Kill, sorry, Dalton's catching of the, no, yes. no, yeah. I don't. You know, yeah. it's just unreal. It's just unreal how good how good these moments are and how they make that character way much more rounded than possibly it's got any right to be. But it was uh, right there in the source material, all this. Oh, yes, absolutely. It's right there. It's the greatest, for me, hands down, it's the greatest performance of James Bond in a film. License to Kill. Yeah, yeah hands yeah. down for me. There has never been a better performance by an actor as James Bond than Timothy Dalton in License to Kill because the range of emotion yeah. that goes on throughout that film, yeah. he goes through everything. That film, I, I, <laughs> I remember watching that for the first time at 11-year-old. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. And I remember my dad saying to me, oh, you don't want to watch this guy. Yeah. He was rubbish. And he was really, he was like really dismissive of it. And I remember watching that 11 year old straight away and said, that's my favorite Bond film. And he's my favorite James Bond. And he's oh, always gosh. been my favorite James Bond because that performance is mesmerizing to me. I think it's unbelievable. I got sent a, a proof of a new novel that's coming out in June, right? And it's everyone's excited about it. It's going to be amazing. It's by a, a Northern writer called uh, Mike Craven. Who it's it's gonna be brilliant. It's, he's gonna smash it. But the opening scene is a bank heist, and the five people on the bank heist are wearing Bond rubber masks. 
Oh. And, he, and it's like, right, so Craig goes in the front door. And um, in the... In this the, is brilliant. Yeah, in the narrative of it, the, the Craig shoots the Dalton in the back of the head and <laughs> says he was the worst Bond anyway. Oh. And, oh. and like that was, was like, right, that is enough. You're not getting a quote <laughs> from me. That was <laughs> so who's wrong, though, Rob? It's not the author. He's pointing yeah. out the character was it's wrong. The character was wrong. Yes, thank yeah. you. But I know. But the but in private, the the author has said to me, Dalton was the worst Bond anyway. Oh, oh right, well, there you sickening. Go. Oh. It's all over. It's all over. <laughs> it's a myth. It's a myth. It is a myth. It's a myth. But it is something that's repeated, and I've seen it in. Um... And like weird things, I think I mentioned it in the book where I, I was reading an article where it's like all, all the all the things you don't like about Bond, about Bond sort of get stuck onto Dalton. So somebody in one book article was saying, "Oh, and there's that bit where he made a quiche." Well, actually, that was Roger Moore. Or I remember reading an interview with Mel Gibson. He was talking about it, and when he said that the Bonds have been getting shorter since Sean Connery and Dalton was was short, and it's like we're six foot two, and this is mad. Yeah. And it's just once you get that label of unsuccessful, people just sort of stick things on, even though actually he was successful. Generally speaking, critically it was mixed, but they always are but again it comes back to that that box office figure of a, a you know 150 odd million which is 40 million less than living daylights yeah and that's i think has hallmarked them but you know the, the fans talk about it very differently and like you guys are talking about it which is yeah good. the competition was i think anthony stark was saying <laughs> batman yeah. yeah you know lethal weapon 2 <laughs> They just I mean, had Indiana Jones and Last Crusade. It's the most stupid time to release a movie in the cinema. Um, yeah, yeah. Batman, Lethal Weapon 2, Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade, Ghostbusters 2 was out that summer yeah, yeah. as well. Yeah. You had License Skill and then you had Star Trek 5, and, and they both suffered, although Star Trek 5 is pretty rubbish, honestly. <laughs> um, to be fair, and I like, I like the Star Trek movies, yeah. but it's pretty rubbish. But it's not just the, the release window, which they went in the middle of the biggest blockbuster summer ever. They also, the ad campaign in America was horrific. It's a dreadful campaign and they didn't put much money behind it. So nobody knew that Bond was out. You look at the post and you have Dalton in sort of in the the gun barrel pose. He's not in the right suit. And there's this weird square with Sanchez's or the women in it and Sanchez's face is in flame behind it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's just like, well, that's crap. The British poster was way better, but the American marketing was dreadful. If you're enjoying Really 007, why not follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram? Look us up at really seven pod. I also think another thing that I really appreciate from your book was the analysis about how um, License to Kill changes genre. Mm. Yeah, yeah, action adventure yeah. to action. Yeah. And I, and I think that like with hindsight, that probably cuts out quite a bit of audience as well, especially with especially with the uh, fifteen certificate as well. Um, it's, it's 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 really true. I mean, Bond movies have always done this, though. They've always adjusted and evolved to genre. Pretty much after On a Majesty's Secret Service, mm. Diamonds Are Forever feels like almost like a camp revisit of of various bits. I'm sure the original script for Diamonds Are Forever had Goldfinger's brother in it. I'm yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. Right, so yeah. they even they thought we need to go back to that. Live and Let Die is is part black exploitation film. Man with a Golden Gun is is clearly okay. Bruce Lee movies. Let's get some sort of martial arts in this. You know, Spy Love Me is an interesting and, and really good movie. But it, again, it, it's it's kind of is you only live twice. But you know, with submarines and and of course, Moonraker came out because of Star Wars. So you watch the end of Spy, you love me. What's the next movie? Off oh, your eyes only. Okay, cool. Yeah. And then Moonraker comes out. So they've always adjusted to that. But yeah, there is a, there is a visual similarity to some of the lighting and, and use of lens flare. And you talked about uh, Rob talked about the slow mo running out the helicopters. <laughs> That's much more U.S. action movie. You don't see that sort of stuff in a Bond movie. No. Yeah. Um, no, and of course, 
the locations yeah well the, the, <laughs> the, and the locations and the cast as well they were casting the same sort of actors now that was because they they had to they had no money and one of the stupid things about this is is that moonraker was made for 30 million dollars license to kill was made for 30 million dollars 10 years of depreciation in between that. yeah yeah so you know they had to cast actors from the, from the us and and you don't get that slightly more european flavor so there's that aspect to it but visually alec mills the cinematographer who was the same cinematographer on living daylights yeah. you know it clearly adjusted the look of the film to have a, a slightly not flatter exactly but a slightly more cooler mm. palette yeah. than in Living Daylights. It does give it a different look and a feel, but I still think it's very Bondian. I still think that, you know, it has great stunts. It has the setup of M and, and you know, Q's performance. Desmond Thrillin oh. is brilliant and his role Absolutely. in it is yeah. so great. And they give him something to do as well, which is really nice. And, and the, you see his character, that moment when he throws the broom into the bush <laughs> after... <laughs> 25 years of telling Bond to look after gadgets is, is absolutely brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. it just, you know, and it res again, it resonates. So I think it, it is a Bondian film, but I see for some people, they just thought, oh, this is a bit far. But actually, if you go back and look at Dr. No, is it? I is agree. it a bit far? Totally agree with you. I, I think mm. the elements that we all talk about, that people talk about, oh, they're, they're like, that's not Bond, that's not Bond. Well, they've all been done before, albeit mm. separately in different points in the series, under different guises, etc. I think that's what makes License to Kill so great for me, is the fact that it's still a Bond film. But it's Bond pushed to his absolute limit, which is what you yeah. want to see out of characters. Yeah, absolutely. You, know, you want to yeah. see them put into the deep end. And there's no bigger deep end than this for Bond. Mm. And this is this is why, is why I love it so much. And why wouldn't you want a Shakespearean trained actor to, to guide absolutely. Bond through those yeah. r the most challenging moments? Carrie, like in your book, I think it's really interesting that you say that I don't, a, a sort of criticism of Licence to Kill is that it's not, you know, oh, it doesn't feel like a Bond movie. It doesn't feel like Bond. Whereas... If you think about it, and that this is something you point out in the book, there are elements that are lifted from the book from the book. So, you yeah. know, obviously the most obvious example in the title of your book, from Live and Let Die. And also the portrayal of Bond and Bond, you know, smoking again and things like that is like Fleming's Bond. So in many yeah, ways, it's, it's more Bond than other, you know, previous <laughs> or other ones since. I mean, I think, I think for those, I mean, this won't be universally true. I mean, I, when the Dalton movies were coming out in the, in the gap between, sorry, the Dalton movies were around and the gap between 89 and, and 95 is when I basically read the Bond novels. So I think my love of Dalton is very tied into reading those at that age as well. And I think absolutely. And, and we you can imagine how, him as Bond when you were reading it. Oh God, well. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He looks like yeah. it, sounds like it, and he does behave it. Dalton always talked about, they don't mention this word. I think it was cut from one of them, this word acidy, which Fleming uses, which is a sort of moral sickness that Bond kind of enjoys it and kind of doesn't. He's a conflicted character and he, he you know, he smokes and he drinks and he screws around partly to compensate for this this moral mm. world. But we do forget how controversial Dr. No was. People don't realise that Dr. No was a controversial movie. You know, it was condemned by the Vatican newspaper. People were horrified by the violence when he shoots Dent, that was yeah. a real moment yeah. in the evolution of film violence and cinema. Well, it's yeah, but it's on TV on a Sunday afternoon at two two o'clock, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now it is, but sixty years ago, yeah, different story. But that feels the same Bond as it does in License to Kill. It really it definitely does. does. Definitely yeah. does. I agree. It definitely does. Things just turn nasty. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, one of the themes of picked up of course is that people say it's a much darker tone and the, there's this clear line between the silliness in inverted commas of the Roger Moore era and the really gritty serious no laughs no humour of uh, Living Daylights which is absolute rubbish isn't it there's, it's a more 
I don't know, it flows a bit more. If Yes, if you just watch A View to a Kill and then License to Kill, although, you know, there's quite some dark moments in A View to a Kill. Yeah, there is. You've got, Glenn, uh, Glenn clearly Zorin. wanted to push it there, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was coming through. And I think by the by the time of License to Kill, it was like his ultimate vision of Bond, really. Well, I think License to Kill is, is tonally consistent. I, I touch on this in the book, and it's something to maybe talk about more, but the 80s Bonds of Fewer Eyes Only, Octopussy, and, and View to a Kill, are totally very odd movies sometimes. Yeah. Because, and Glenn, Glenn was clearly trying to toughen up Roger Moore. And, you know, that moment in uh, Few Eyes Only when he kicks Locke's car. Yeah. Off, it was a brilliant moment. And Moore can do it. I mean, that's absolutely convincing. But then at the same time, you have sort of odd moments. In fact, actually, the opening of Few Eyes Only is perfect. You yes, have that sure. really, you know, you talked about it beautifully earlier, this, this moment where he looks at the grave and it really means something. And then we're got Blofeld or whoever it is, and we're dropping him down. And it's a cool stunt sequence, but it's sort of like, that's a leap. Keep your hair on. Yeah. Yeah. I've just said goodbye to my wife, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Just processing some grief here by dropping you down a ton. Yeah, yeah. And and, and you're the person that killed my wife or is responsible for doing that. For copyright reasons, we can't acknowledge that. Good job. And why is Blofeld still in a neck brace after on a Majesty's Secret Service? That's... That's some bad, bad doctors. It's prequel. That is because <laughs> it is my ties in with my theory, Carrie, that yeah. Four Yard Eyes Only is the direct sequel to Honor Majesty's Secret. <laughs> makes, it makes perfect so sense. So good. I oh. John, I heard, so that, I heard good. that on the, um, yeah. on the um, Diamonds episode. Um, I wasn't on that one, but I just listened to it recently. And like, your take on it make, makes all that period so much more palatable to me. Yeah. You know, like the fact that they're not in that order. They're not in release order. The the, the films might actually be, you know, it, yeah. It's pathetic, but I have to do it. I have to do it. It's not pathetic because, because I actually appreciate Diamonds Are Forever as a film in its own right now, as opposed to actually because otherwise I always have this niggle in the back of my head, like thinking, yeah, but it's so unresolved the Majesty's mm. situation. But yeah, it, it's now that it's now the uh, the trilogy of um, Majesty's for your eyes only than License to Kill. Oh. It's the oh. perfect sense. It's, it's, it's the John. It's the John Glenn trilogy. It's the John Kell trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, well, I'm g- not thought about that. I mean, flipping it, I'll be lying awake later on tonight. Like, <laughs> yeah, after watch like, all three. Yeah, back I can't to think of yeah. anything else. It's yeah. the only way to watch that. That makes perfect. But you're right, but there is a tonal inconsistency, and I think Glenn was clearly pushing it, and Moore was against that, and he Moore was less involved in A View to a Kill, and apparently he was really quite surprised when he saw all the, the scenes, you know, of Zorin shooting the, the people in the mine and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, he was not happy with that. He didn't he didn't think that worked. I, I think those scenes worked really well, because Zorin's a real proper psychopath, and it's a great performance as well. Oh, superb. That's one of the things we were saying about License to Kill, is that it's got we see the villain doing awful things yeah. and that just that we haven't seen an awful lot of that in the recent films it when you've got you know zorin doing that you've got sanchez doing that i'm sure we probably agreed that bardem is probably the best silver's probably the best villain main villain of the well mad mad Mixon was excellent but he wasn't in it mm. enough but when when you see he doesn't we don't really see him do an awful lot he's just very menacing and threatening and he lights up the screen whenever he's in it but seeing zorin do that and mm. seeing uh, Sanchez put Milton Crest in the uh, oh yeah the, the money yeah. tin or whatever it is, but goodness me, it, I don't know. It gives it that extra 
oh. oomph and well, it, it raises the stakes, doesn't it? And you you know, exactly as, as Killing yeah. Della does and, and maiming and yeah. mailing oh. it gives a sense of real jeopardy. And and this was happening in late eighties action movies, and and it ha- yeah. certainly happens in Licensed Skill. Is is that you know Bond really suffers physically suffers? Yeah. yeah. By the end, he's dragging himself up, yeah, yeah, uh, and with a machete in his face, and, and absolutely, apparently Dalton really <laughs> so for his life from that explosion as well. But, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, yeah. That's really him just running from an explosion. Um, but that looks, which is great. <laughs> but... are, those, those sequences in that film, you know, if people like were to say, "Oh, the the you know these two films, Bond doesn't do very much." Like some of the sequences in these two Dalton films are unbelievable. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Yeah. peak of the entire franchise in terms he's of, on that tanker chase you know he, he is on the, the back of it absolutely amazing and the drama in those sequences are unbelievable yeah, yeah absolutely but you have to have the personal investment to, for the drama to pay off yeah um, and, and you have that because it, it means something and like you say yeah the villains have to be scared it's the one weakness I find with Living Daylights is much as I love Johan Krabber as Yogi Kosko he's, mm-hmm. he's, he's funny Brad Whitaker feels fairly undeveloped and unthreatening, yeah, so I think. I agree with that. But but Sanchez is great. Dario is is you know Benicio, Oscar winner Benicio del Toro yeah, yeah. is superb in it, and you get a real sense of of violence. The way that you know Sanchez falls apart, and there's an interesting way that he falls apart. And, you know, I mentioned in the book, and, and Michael Wilson's talked about Yojimbo, the the, the Kurosawa yeah. movie yeah. from the 50s, and you know Fistful of Dollars or Red Harvest. If you go back to the Raymond Chandler novels, is this character who just sort of Dalton's Bond comes in and just sort of destroys everything from within. It's kind of Shakespearean and, and tragic. Yeah, it is, yeah. It, it, it collapses in. Yeah. What's amazing about Sanchez for me is, is that you've described the the threat and you've seen the stuff that he does, but actually he's the most charming person in the film as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so, and that's amazing Sorry. because it keeps Dalton, they realise that Dalton's strength is not particularly the funny quips like mm. they are in Living Daylights. So they pass the charming lines to the villain. And like you see through this villain that actually if you are loyal to him, he is not like Zorin. He's not going to shoot you down for no reason. He is going to reward you. Yeah. He is quite a charming obviously it's got the Escobar vibes about it. Oh yeah. But 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 it's a fascinating dynamic that on one sense you've got this very, very dangerous man. And yet, on the other sense, you've got this bromance going on between... Well, he thinks there's a bromance yeah. going on yeah. between him and Bond until the very last scene, really. It's, no, and it's a real personal betrayal that Bond does, does them that he feels yeah, as well. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah no, actually, it's I was... It's interesting, when Dario dies, he's screaming Sanchez's name. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He screams for him. <laughs> and oh, it's a great meat grinder bit, isn't it? It's, it is, uh, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Off. The influence of the books is there, and the, the, and the short story, The Heidelbrand Rarity, was where M- Milton Crest comes from. But they also developed, and, and something I talk about a lot, which I think is really interesting in Dalton's Bonds, is the women, is throughout both yeah. movies, the women grow. And very often in Bond films, it's the opposite. So Cara mm. in Living Daylights is a shy cellist who doesn't really know what she's in. By the end, she's, you know, punching guys off her jeep. And yeah. okay, she's maybe piloting a plane badly, but she's piloting a plane and she's doing all this cool stuff. Yeah. Pam never pam helps all the way through um, yeah, it's very clever because yeah. they split her off in the plane so she's doing stuff and helping and so it doesn't compromise bond lupe actually grows 
as well. Yeah, yeah. She never, you know, particularly needs rescuing and she's working on stuff. And I think it's really good because I always get annoyed. It happens in Tomorrow Never Dies with Wei Lin, who is brilliant right up until the point where the script needs it to be useless. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, yes. it's just like, what a letdown because she was such a good character. I they don't never... do that in Dalton's Bond. The women are strong. And I think this is how you have to react. You don't change Bond. You change everything around him. Yes. yes. So the women are, you know, you talked about Diamonds Are Forever earlier. Tiffany Case starts so well in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. By the end of it, it's just like, yeah. <laughs> On the oil in a bikini. Yeah. I know just what you mean. Um, the, I was reading um, a, a, a favourite book series of mine recently, um, and I can't help always equating to Bond because it's so formative to me, but I can't help it. So this book series is like a number of books long where I've got up to a character from 15 years ago has cropped up again with the heroine from that book, and they've just got like a fishing business in the Caribbean. And I just the thing that immediately <laughs> came into my head was Bond and Carrie Lowell. You know, like, because you could imagine those two yeah. calling it a day on the business. That's it. You know, because I, I always felt that um, Dalton's bond was quite, potentially quite monogamous. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Carrie, you mentioned this in the book. I, I, this was one of, oh, I, I just, honestly, Carrie, like the amount, like lying in bed next to my wife reading this book, like, um, <laughs> she's saying, like, where's this going? <laughs> no, 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 I'm bad, but, you know, like, the amount of I, I didn't know. Like, I mean, I thought it was all right. Let me help. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but like I'm like you know, uh, and I'm I'm smiling. She can see I'm smiling while I'm reading this because I'm greeting so much, you know. Like so, um, but it was I can't. You've thrown me so much. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> you know, you throw, I've thrown you. It's okay. about him, him, him and Pam. Him and Pam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pam. It was that um, Pam being Bond's equal. You know, like he. Yeah. That that suggestion, possibly, that he's been looking for his equal all this time and he's finally found her. Well, Tracy was, wasn't she? Yes. Tracy, yeah. you know, is uh, not from exactly, the same background, yeah. but, you know, she drives the car beautifully during the, when they, they're they in the, uh, well, the ice rink race and all that stuff, and she really helps out. So she's, again, she, she grows through the story. I mean, she goes from being suicidal at the beginning to, yeah. I mean, happy until she's shot, obviously. But, you know, up until that point, <laughs> if we just ignore the last reel, yeah, it, yeah. You, know, she, you know, it goes really well. Downs off roses. So I, th- I think it's important. But, you know, Natalia does it in Goldeneye. I think Goldeneye works really well because Natalia, and it's very clever because Natalia, but given making her technical, she's successful, but not in Bond's area. Yes. yes. So yes, she yeah. can just be useful. And they, they have a lot of fun with that. And there's a lot of jokes about that. But I do, I do and it, it's annoying when they build, a, 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 you know, Triple X Anya in Spy Who Loved Me. Mm. Again, Perfectly brilliant and competent, just until the point where she, we have to bond, has to rescue her. So yeah, yeah. suddenly, yeah. if you put her in an evening gown, she's useless. Yeah, I mean, like, but Pam's contribution to the final act of *License to Kill* is pivotal. Yeah, it's absolutely, absolutely yeah, yeah. pivotal in so many occasions. Even with Wayne Newton, yeah, yeah, uh, getting all that stuff, which are yeah. such great <laughs> scenes as well. There's such yeah. great oh, they are comedy, loads yeah. of comedy. In. And the, yeah, they say that the Don's Bond's not funny, but there's a lot of humour, and you're right, a lot of it's on Sanchez, but but Wayne Newton as, as Professor Joe provides yeah. a lot of humour. It's brilliant. So, Rob, do, do you think Sorry. there's more chance of Dalton's Bond settling down with Pam than than Cara? That's quite interesting, though. Yeah, definitely. I've not really thought definitely. about that. Because yeah. I thought, I thought, um, Pom, uh, Pom? <laughs> <laughs> Pom. A Pommy, yeah. yeah. Pam, Pam was much more of Bond's equal, I thought. Yeah. I thought that yeah. always Dalton's Bond had a great deal of uh, respect for her in a professional sense and trusted her judgment. I don't think he ever really trusted Kara's judgment. 
I think he was extremely romantically affectionate with her. Mm. I mean, they go on a date in the Prater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Prater. Yeah, they're obviously, there's a huge deal of affection there. And I love this about Dalton's Bond is that he does have that capacity for affection that isn't just whiling away the time, you know, which, I mm. mean, I do adore it and I'll never say anything <laughs> How do you kill bad against five it. Five hours like, in Rio. Well, no, five, <laughs> you know, it's five yeah. days to Alaska, you know. Yeah, five yeah. days, <laughs> I mean, just the chafing alone would be abysmal, you know. But, like, you know, just the fact that, like, at certain points in the franchise, women have been there to kill time for Bond, and that's never been the case with Dalton's Bond. But, no, I'd love to think of Pam and Dalton's Bond, like, having, like, I don't know, like, a lovely little fishing business on a... You're on a beach somewhere. <laughs> I think I think we could write this with it. We could, you know, a pseudo sequel where, you know, the fishing business is running and they dragged back into action oh. one last but time. If they, if you, they, you know, if on the beach, you know, like maybe, um, I don't know, like Dario's son that he didn't know he had came to <laughs> take out Pam and Bond is called back. In. This has got everything. Yeah. Got everything. I mean, Without like, putting it down on it, we're just going for Frank Grimes from The Simpsons now at this rate. Yeah. <laughs> you know, his son came back to avenge Homer. <laughs> <laughs> we no, no more relations. I don't want anybody, anybody yeah, that's son of anybody yeah. Yeah, in no, any of these movies. No more. That's, no more. Yeah, that's, that's the funny one. Would In that scenario, would Pam and James have had a child? I don't know. I can imagine they would, actually. It's just the Pam and James from the movie. You put a lot yeah. of time into this, Rich. Yeah, no, no, no. I am. I'm thinking on my feet here, Kerry. <laughs> but I, I'm is like, it like really the only time he actually chooses? You see him choose and basically well, leave Lupe. I, I, and... I think it's a rejection of Lupe. For me, is the old old style Bond girl. She's very reminiscent of Domino in Thunderball. Yeah. And right yeah. at the end, you know, Bond is given the choices. Do you stay with the Lupe character, will be fun and stuff, or do you, do you throw yourself off the balcony and into the swimming pool for the one who is, is more like you and, um, and, you know, the stronger woman and the more equal woman? <laughs> and he chooses that, and yeah. I think that's a really important yeah. moment. I agree with that. I think, I think Lupe is very much a survivor in life. Mm. She, she will, yeah, you know, she gets she's with... Easy. She's not that easy. She gets with Sanchez. You can't, I don't want to yeah. go back there. She's, she's got that for yeah. that life. She will do whatever she needs to do to get herself out of the situation. So, and and I think Bonnie sees that in quite a lot of senses. In like, you know, it's implied that she then goes and uh, and just chats up El Presidente. Yeah. Very interested. But you, you can know, fully... I love James so much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, we'll just ignore that line. If ITV Four knows how to do things well that's the line they'll edit out of the whole film never mind any you of do get those from Q which are brilliant yeah I, yeah. I mean but uh, yeah she is yeah. you know I think the, yeah the old fashioned Bond girl and yeah we've moved yeah. forward and, and we moved on and, and Pam's really interesting there's uh, interesting I was reading uh, about this again first time in ages that um, Talisa Soto who played Lupe was I mean very raw as an actress but she tried to put a lot into the role and, and you're absolutely right to talk about those sorts of she's on the move she's thinking about it and there's one scene where she's reading the book you can't see what the book is i don't think but they passed her some sort of thin book she's no i want a fat book that's about power or something mm. i want people to know that lupe mm. is thinking awesome. just wow. a wallflower that is actually awesome. working on stuff and there she is she's got the house she's got the the diamond choker from the iguana yeah. on her wrist and yeah she might be about to marry the president at the end she'll be fine yeah she's yeah, yeah don't worry I about don't... Lupe. i thought you hated that thing 
Don't you know? Iguana's our girl's best friend. <laughs> Presidente will make a perfect couple. Pam is the is Pam the first Bond girl who's come on to Bond aggressively. Mm. Yeah, you mentioned yeah. this, don't you, Carrie? He does. Like, he does. Yeah. Yeah. Like really this, interesting. And I think like Bond's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think <laughs> it, I think it, yeah. I think it really works well for the film because you know, especially because I. So I I'd always thought of this, you know, it being Bond revenge mission. Mm. St- stupidly, really, lazily, I thought. Because his because his friend you know to take revenge because his friend's been well, is that true? by a shark. Yeah. yeah, it is. But then it's more because not only has that happened to his friend, his friend's wife on the day of the wedding has been murdered, and you know it's insinuated mm. that she she's been raped, which is just mm. absolutely horrific. And they, they've kept Felix alive to suffer. You know, you know yeah. what I mean. And so it's even more He's than that. Horrendous. But then I'd I'd never thought of Bond seeing the. The you know the the similarities between yeah Tracy dying on her wedding day and I mean it's poor that I didn't think of it but you know Tracy yeah. dying on on his wedding day and his best friend's wife dying on on their wedding day oh. uh, and you know just that projection so the reason the reason I'm saying that is that he then sets off on his mission of kind of revenge he's not lo- he's not looking to hook mm. up or anything like that so exactly. it fits in it fits in that Pam sort of comes on to him Absolutely. and he, you know, he's not, that's not the mission. He knows what the mission is, but you know, and, and, and he keeps trying to get rid of her and he keeps trying to send Q home as yeah, well, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah he does. Yeah. He does. Well, Q. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Carrie, have you read the, um, the license, John Gardner's license to kill? I did years ago and I haven't looked at that in forever. No, I, the only reason is because I cannot stop laughing when I think about it. Not for any reason that, you know, is <laughs> inappropriate, but, because obviously, in it's supposed to be a continuation from yeah. the original, and in in Live and Let Die, obviously Felix gets eaten by a shark, and then he gets eaten again, again. by a shark. <laughs> the other leg, yeah. Oh, guys, just cannot get a break whatsoever. You know, Especially with sharks, yeah. Sharks, you know? yeah. <laughs> it's like um, anyone anyone in Anchorman fun. Yes, yeah. yes. It's like yeah. Luke, Luke Wilson's character who keeps yeah, moving yeah, his yeah. arms. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm not again. Why? Always. Why? No, 
it's it's I'm blessed. I'm I haven't read the John Gardners in a long time. I did read pretty much all of them back in in sort of the nineties because you know and books were harder to get back then. No bloody Amazon. Yeah, yeah. So you were, yeah. you know, every time I went into a bookstop, it's like, can I find a John Gardner Bond novel in paperback to, to read? And but you know, it's funny with the Gardners. I enjoyed them at the time, and I can't remember a damn thing about most of them. <laughs> no, I know, I do know. What he drives a Saab. I can remember the Saab. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. okay. That's an interesting choice, John. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hi, this is Anthony Stark. I played Truman Lodge in License to Kill, and you're listening to Really 007. In your book, you mentioned the, the politics of the time. Mm. It was a bit more complicated because it was nearing the end of the Cold War. I think Britain, you say, Britain wasn't as dominant in the world. You know, it was no well, longer this sort of flashy I mean, country. I mean, actually, when Fleming, Fleming was writing them, Britain's in decline. Britain's, you know, geopolitically is in decline after the Second World War, arguably before, but certainly. And, and Fleming's novels are, are in a sense, a, a sort of a fantasy of British power is that, okay, people might not think we're that good, but behind the scenes, we've got people like James Bond, we've got the best secret service, we're doing these sorts of things. And that's really, you know, the, the, in the 60s and, and part of that wave of British culture with the Beatles and the, the Bond films become part of a restatement and a reshaping of, of, of British identity. Yeah, I mean, you know, the reality is is that, one, the Cold War's been happening and it's 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 a it's, it's an American and Russian thing and, and we're involved. And the Bond films, when they do engage with the Cold War, kind of flip it and say, actually... Britain are fighting it and the Americans just turn up at the end to help us, don't they? The Berlin Wall's about to come down. Okay, they didn't know that, but you, it's in the air. The old ideas of who's the good guys and the bad guys are really jumbling up. So where do you go from that? Um, and I think Life Skills is interesting because it, it takes Bond way out of the traditional sort of areas of a Bond film by going to, I know Isthmus City is, is made up, but going to sort of Latin America, other than the Killing Time in Rio sequence. It's, it's a very different world for him to be in. And, and, you know, I think looking back, it was Michael Wilson who came up with Sanchez and the drugs idea. And I think that's actually pretty forward thinking. It was, you know, when it came out, people said, oh, that drugs, drugs, politicians don't, drugs, people don't influence politicians and presidents. So yeah. That's ridiculous. And of course, you look back, and you think, yeah, they do. <laughs> they really got that. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, it's always a difficult thing with, with Britain as a, as a world power. And it's going to be, you know, we'll do the Bond films now acknowledge Brexit. And how do you deal with all those sorts of, the fallout of all those sorts of issues it's always difficult to orient because the, the, the world is not as simple we don't have any easy bad guy like we used yeah. to you know i guess north uh, korea maybe carrie do you think that the the, the two films the two dalton films because both have heavy drug politics angles don't they mm. um do you think they were that the cinema going public weren't ready for that i think it's always true with the bond film is that half of them want the movie they watch look their favorite bond that they've written in their head that's they know but living daylights did better than view to a kill yes so they weren't bothered about that. I don't think it's the drugs angle that's the problem in terms of the box office and the readiness. I mean, we talked about the advertising and those sorts yeah. of things. I think I think it was more that. I think if they'd released License to Kill at Christmas with a decent advertising campaign, it would have made a fortune. And yeah. I don't I, I don't yeah. think, you know, and I think that another adult movie would have happened really quickly. Why you talk about that, I mean, um, having read that bit in the book about, um, it's Bob Peake, isn't it? The um, oh. poster designs. Those designs are unbelievable. Mm. They are, I mean, they're so, they're more striking than anything I've seen. I mean, in the series, they're, sorry, they're as striking as anything yeah. in the series you are likely to see. God, I've just put, put here, license revoked. 
what is Carrie's take? That's on my <laughs> on my notes here. Like, what what is your take on that? Like, is that what you think that that if this was marketed correctly without that that U turn, yeah, and put out at a different time, that perhaps License to Kill would have been much more successful? Yeah, I, I think so. And I, and those Bob Pigar and and a lot of the art they did when it was called License Revoked is is much better than anything that they mm. they put out later on. Stronger. You know, James Bond 007 branding as well. I don't think the name change helps because, you know, people then, oh, they're changing the name, they must be worried, and all these sorts of things. So I think license revoked is fine. The rumor is that Americans didn't either didn't understand the word revoked or would associated it with their driver's licenses, mm. which I, yeah. don't believe, I don't believe. I mean, I, I believe that people might think that, but I don't believe that that is what Americans think. But that Which title do you prefer, though? Or is it more um, than they swapped it? Because I do, I do like License to Kill, the title. I, I think License to Kill is fine, but there had been another movie, I think, with Denzel Washington called that. Oh, I really? When that came out. Oh, um, wow. I think I found out what I'm going to do after this. Yeah. Although it's spelled, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think Denzel Washington might be, it might be set in Britain, and I think maybe he's a British actor or something, I can't remember. But I, wow. I've read about it and never seen it. Of course, license is spelt in the American way with an S. I think license revoked is fine. I know John Gardner wasn't happy because it's very similar to license renewed. And that was another pressure yeah. coming in. But I think license revoked would have worked because it sums up the situation. Because actually, oddly, license to kill is about a movie where he doesn't have a license to kill. Mm. So yeah. in, in, in a sense, it's an odd name. We've said sort of it's not as Britain centric and it's... Mm. I think also, I think you've alluded to it in the book, Bond's out of his comfort zone in both films. In Living Daylights, he doesn't know who to trust. He's going, of course, against M. And then even when he's uh, he's in the Russian uh, prison, isn't he, in Afghanistan, and then he's with Cameron Shah, he's just no, he, he's basically relying on other people. And he's in the middle of all this other stuff that's nothing really to do with him. And then in License to Kill, he's... You know, like you say, you don't. there's no scenes of him sort of... Apart from when he's posing in License to Kill as, you know, this sort of guy who's coming to Isthmus. It's not really the glamorous, oh, hello, Mr. Bond, nice to meet you, and, you know, <laughs> yeah, shaking sure. not stirred. He's, like in, he's really in a danger zone the whole time. Um, Living Daylight is, like we said before, it's a transitional film, and if you, look, if you know the uh, deleted scenes with the, uh, the magic carpet and stuff, which yeah. is, <laughs> is such a Roger Moore sort of thing. And, yeah. And, yeah. No, actually, I think, Dalton, if you look at it, it's a very slow scene and I can see why they cut out. I think he does yeah. fine in it. It is throwing him out of out of the tuxedo. And Dalton wanted that. He, he's like, oh, I want a leather jacket. I want to be dressed down. I don't want to be mm. dressed up all the time. The Afghanistan scenes are really interesting um, because not only is it an unusual location, there, there's this really, uh, some beautiful photography in the Afghanistan scenes. Some yeah, backlit yeah. horses and stuff. It's really beautiful looking. But there's that moment where they go through the bombed out village and the, the Afghans are just peeling the clothes off the dead Russian soldiers. And it's like, yeah. that's a bit serious yeah. for a Bond movie, isn't it? That's a bit yeah. full on. But absolutely, it's it's throwing Bond out of, you know, everybody knows who he is when he walks into the restaurant and everybody's, you know, comfortable with him. And it's saying that he, he's human and, and vulnerable and can make mistakes, but, you know, can bring it round as well. And that creates a, a greater level of human drama in the movies. There's no way that this, um, that Dalton's Bond exists anywhere on the same timeline as the Bond in Diamonds of Forever of, you just killed James Bond! <laughs> <laughs> Is that who it was? Yeah. <laughs> well, it, and yeah, it, I mean, it is. We're going to have to put these in, the, in a completely different order from the... Yeah, the will, now. Yeah. So I'm really confused. I mean, look, the, the, the Bond franchise has a very loose attitude to continuity um, yeah. because... I cannot imagine Dalton's uh, Bond being in Moonraker. I would really struggle for that. I don't want to change Moonraker. I love Moonraker. But, you know, it, it's a very different 
beast. Mm. But it's it's a, an awareness that the political reality of the world is not as clear as it used to be. That the good guys and the bad guys are difficult to tell apart. Yorgi Koskov is, is starts yeah. off. You think he's a defector. It turns out he's not. He's he's playing everybody off against each other. And Killifer. so it's the first time I've heard what, yeah, what's actually about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a jolly complicated film. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, it's 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 a it's a realization that the, the world has got more complicated. It's even got more even more bloody complicated now, probably. But there you go. Too much to talk. About, yeah. Yeah. Let's not let's not go there. No, no. <laughs> so, what, Kerry, presumably, when you had the idea to do this uh, book, was it particularly this era that you always wanted to write about? Well, I originally researched this so I was doing uh, an MA in film studies at the University of East Anglia a long time ago longer than I, I care to remember and I, I originally did all, a lot of this research and, and wrote up a dissertation about this then in 2018 I had a really interesting year it's actually started in 2017 is I, I got quite ill and for a while we didn't know what it was I was originally diagnosed with anemia and then one morning I got up and I went to the loo and my urine was was the color of coca-cola which was an exciting moment <laughs> It was so exciting. I got my wife and said, come and look at this. She was like, I think you should go to the doctor. And anyway, after about six months later, which March 2018, I was diagnosed with quite a rare disease called uh, PNH or paroxysmal nocturnal hemoglobinuria, which is a very complicated term for what I've got. And I'm treated and it's all great. And the, and the NHS, thank God, exists. And I have to have drugs every yeah. two weeks, you know, injected into me. And other than a bit of fatigue, I don't really notice it. But the summer after that, I was just sort of taking stock a bit and I was looking through what I was doing and I found all my old research I was having a tidy up and I found the old dissertation I read it and I thought actually this needs changing and updating but there's something here for me to write about and I think reflecting on it the the diagnosis just gave me a kick up the ass to do something because it's like okay just just do it just pump it out there and I had no expectation that anybody would read it or do anything to it and then you know three years later or whatever it is I'm talking to you guys which is absolutely fantastic and I've spoken to other people and people have left some lovely reviews and one guy sent me a copy to sign to send back to into Greece which is like really bizarre and and you know really really nice things and it's actually kicked me off writing more other things as well it's it's it's, so it's just been a a great thing but yeah a lot of the research I did back at university which is like it must be 20 years ago because I already had this annoying itch that people didn't like Dalton and they were just wrong (laughs) <laughs> and and I just wanted to say, you know what? You're wrong, and this is why you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, and that's really was was Brilliant. underneath it all. So it's it was a circuitous route to get to to actually putting it together. But it was yeah, absolutely my my reaction to to people not getting Dalton, and particularly after Brosnan's movies came out, and he was so big. And I think it's interesting. We now look at Brosnan a bit like we used to look at Dalton. We're not sure about Brosnan anymore. At least a lot of the community is, and we question it. I think there's a Bond life cycle. I think it happened to Roger Moore as well, is that they come out, they're successful, and then about 10 years later, everybody thinks they're rubbish. And then 10 years later after that, everybody starts to go, hang on a minute. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, Actually, and Brosnan's in the difficult middle period where we think, oh, he's useless. (laughs) I think we'll come around again and and, and like them. He's great. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think he's Pierce. better than his movies. The problem I have with 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 Pierce is not his. He's not the problem. Mm. I think he's better than the movies he's in, and I always I always find that slightly disappointing. Wow. Was that a controversial opinion? I don't know. No, not in any no. way. I, no, no, I don't no. I don't think so. I I do have obviously Goldeneye was a seminal moment almost in my life because mm. the James Bond film was on the cinema, and yeah. I you know 
absolutely the same. I snuck yeah. in as Waylon <laughs> yeah. yeah. and uh, and saw it, and you know, and and all the you know everything that went with it, a song released, you know, people, your friends talking about it. Where, whereas before, I was just a Bond geek who watched them all on video. My friends yeah. didn't really necessarily do that. And then tomorrow never dies. I don't know. I just judge it as a sort of night, a combo of a '90s action film and a and a Bond film, sort of, and it, it's. It's fairly easy viewing, I think. And then the world is not enough. We we, we did a review of it, and I, I've it's it's gone up quite a lot in my estimations recently. I think it's it's more it's far more interesting than I used to think it was. I used to think of it as like Tomorrow Never Dies Part Two, and then you know, but I, you know, we, re, we we had a I really enjoyed doing the podcast for that because it really brought loads of things sort of to the fore that I hadn't really thought of. And then Die Another Day, I mean, I know, uh, you know, I am a vague Die Another Day defender, but very, very vague. I mean, I watched, I watched it the other week and there's so much wrong with it. But I actually think the fact that there's a structure of an action thriller that you can yeah. follow yeah. makes me like it more. Action adventure, sorry. But not, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, makes me like <laughs> it more than, I, more than I really should. So I think it's... The whole is better than the sum of its parts. I think that's the right way. Yeah, around. yeah, yeah. I think so. As in, I, uh, yeah, like the whole. <laughs> John's face. If, if you take, wow. as in, if you take, if you take individual bits of it, you think that's yeah. yeah. dreadful. Those lines are dreadful. That CGI is dreadful. Whereas at the end of it, I think you think, well, I know what the yeah. plot was. I know, you know, uh, I, know I know there was a beginning, a yeah. middle, and an end, and I know he had to do this to do that, and then. I think like, Dine of the day. I mean, I didn't like it when it came out. I've I've softened, like I say, my attitude's softened over time to it. Um, it's just there's just some weird, odd choices, directorial choices. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh. Like those weird speeded up moments. It's just like, what, yeah. what, what, <laughs> what is that doing X. there? Yeah, and and I know we talked about slow-mo in, in License to Kill before, but there's some weird... There's, oh, yeah, there's horrendous. the speeding up and there's the slowing down. Yeah. It's just like... I don't, you, you didn't do that in the edge, though. I mean, what a fun I know. Well, I was really excited no by Lee Tamahori because once War yeah. Warriors in the edge, I thought, this is going to be really interesting. Was, yeah. He's a, a gr- yes. really tough director and he did the completely opposite. If you look at his movies <laughs> since, what, Triple X, The Next Level with Ice Cube, oh, yeah. that have yeah. been Ice Diesel. Cube, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's like, okay, well, I think we found the real Lee Tamahori and it's this guy over here. <laughs> yeah. Who was the other guy? Who was the guy who did <laughs> yeah. the edge? That's cool. <laughs> When you were writing the book, what sort of research did you do other than I, watching the Bond films? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, I read yeah. everything. I mean, I've got some stuff here. I went to libraries, the University Library in Lincoln, which isn't far from me to, to look stuff up. I've still got all my old uh, James Bond fan club 007 magazines, which are oh, really yeah. great. I've got a pile of them, just books and books. And then, you know, we now live in the world of the Internet, which is incredible for research. So it was just checking things, updating things, different fan books, different fan magazines and just looking through that um, I'm trying to remember the history book I was looking at earlier when I was re- revising in case you gave me a quiz which is because <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's been some really good books and actually it's interesting as there's been no Bond movies I think there's been a real boom in, in people like myself writing Bond stuff we're, we're yeah, kind of filling great. the gap oh, yeah. I do a bit of media theory with my students and there's a guy called Clay Shirky who talks about the rise of the prosumer which is we don't the, the distinction between the producer and the consumer has collapsed is we now create our own material to consume amongst each other's and you know we make whether it's youtube videos or you know podcasts like this and then and then people are publishing books and i think it's really cool that we sort of stepped up to to fill those those things in and yeah so i just read everything i could went back to the novels looked at them and of course just watched the movies a lot but that's okay 
I think you're right, though. Before, recently, before the internet all that, there wasn't much going back and analysing previous things. It was more looking forward to the next Bond or looking forward to the next thing. But now we've got all this opportunity to sort of chat with like-minded people. I mean, this couldn't this couldn't have happened, could it? You know, if, if it wasn't for Zoom and and all these tools we've got, just chatting and over the internet and Twitter and things. I also think and it's, it's, it's like-minded people, isn't it? It is. But, yeah. but I was thinking what Matt was saying about Goldeneye. And I, I mean, Goldeneye was amazing. And I was taping the music video off TV to rewatch. Yes. It, it makes me laugh because somebody on Twitter shared uh, the official guide to Goldeneye magazine, and I've still got that somewhere. And yeah. I, I, I pegged it up a while ago and looked at it, and it tells you the whole goddamn film in there. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I mean, talk about spoilers. It's bizarre. I only got it afterwards, thankfully. You know, I got I read the novelization and all these things. I knew exactly oh. what was going to happen. It's really, now you wouldn't stand for it, but at the time, I just read everything. But you had to work quite hard to get stuff. You had to, I remember sending off to join the James Bond fan club, and I must have joined in, I don't know, 93, 94, sending off a 25 pound postal voucher yeah, or whatever yeah. they were postal check or whatever it's, i mean they don't do they even exist i don't know um <laughs> and being really excited that every two months or whatever it was the magazine would turn up it was 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 really really good now it's 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 way more accessible and it's really good to be able to connect with people. join us for part two where carrie discusses more of his book he disagreed with something that ate him and we explore more of the themes from The Living Daylights, Unlicensed to Kill. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.